I want to speak this morning, and I, I want to read a passage of Scripture, and then we'll pray. But um, I've been stuck on this passage for a few months, and I just I keep rehearsing it, going over and over it, and it's, it's not a passage you would put on your refrigerator, probably. It's the first uh, seven or eight verses in the book of Romans, and... Um, or Paul's letter to the Romans. And so I had this wild idea that a good, it would be good for my brain, my aging brain, if I memorized the book of Romans. And Anne um, encouraged me with those famous words, good luck. <laughs> or, or like, don't you think you should have done that when you were younger? I don't know. Anyway, it was a very normal response. And, uh, and I don't know if I'll make it, but it's worth... It, it's, it's an awesome journey trying. And, uh, and, you know, if I don't make it in this life, when I get poured out into the next life, I'll get all the rest in a speed course, you know. So uh, that's something to look forward to. But let, re, if you have your Bibles, you can read with me. Um, or if they put it on the screen, you can follow along. It, the letter of Paul to the Romans, verse 1 of chapter one. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome, in Harrisburg, in California, in India, Austria, wherever this might be watched, to all those who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to throw in verse 8 because it's true. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Amen? Amen. So, Father, we thank you for this gospel which you promised beforehand. We thank you that it concerns your son. We thank you that it gives us hope It calls us to a purpose. It sets us free. We pray that you would come upon us. Thank you for your gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. We ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts and minds. You would reveal this amazing gospel in which we have found life. We pray that his name would be glorified in our lives and that this would echo across this nation and to all the nations. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, 
An interesting thing happened to me when I was, uh, you know, I've, I've been on this. And this actually, I mean, this ties into, uh, if you've been here for a while, these five statements that God spoke to me in the night uh, when I was contending and travailing in prayer regarding our nation. And And he gave me these words, awake, arise, count it all joy. No eye has seen and the eyes of the Lord. And all of that, each one of those is is laden with meaning. I would just say we've talked about wake and arise. We've been talking about count it all joy. And, And this may get into what no eye has seen because everything that God does is not what we would expect. And so if, we, if we'll go through these verses and unpack them a little bit, what, what's been amazing to me is that this is just the introduction to the letter. And in, in that time in history, people wrote, writing a letter was a big deal. There was no postal system. And people would often hire a professional writer to write the letter. And there was a form that the letters followed. And usually they opened with a statement of who it's from and what the purpose of the letter is, which is why when you read Paul's letters, and, and to some degree, you see this in James and Peter as well, they follow this format that they, they first say who it's from, which we write letters, we put first who it's to, <laughs> and then at the end, who it's from, you know, and, it, and maybe we put our address up at the top, so, I mean, and now with emails, it's, it's a whole different means of communication or texts. I get texts from people who I don't have in my address book. All I see is a phone number and they just tell me something and sign with a first name, perhaps. I'm supposed to know. And I just say, good luck. <laughs> anyway, but, the, uh, the, but in, anyway, they followed this format. And so Paul, in the beginning of his letters, follows this format that it, you know, it says who he is and he, he always describes himself a certain way, and he usually will give a, a little preview of what the letter's about. And uh, the, the, his letter to the Romans, one, he had never been there, two, so he's writing to people he didn't know. Two, it's the heart of the beast. You know, this was the, the capital city of the evil empire that ruled the world through death, blood, and fear And uh, the, at, at that time. And then... Third is the people there, you know, he, this is his most complete doctrinal treatise in, in the Bible, and it's stunning. Um, it, it's very interesting, Augustine, or St. Augustine, depending how you pronounce that, who lived in the late 300s, of late 4th century, um, was converted, he was a philosopher and a and a professional speaker. He taught rhetoric, which would be somewhat equivalent to training lawyers how to win cases in court in this day. And, and so he, he, and it didn't mean, they weren't, they didn't teach people how to tell the truth, they just taught them how to win an argument, you know, and, and wow people with their communication. It, it was a, a trade, a profession of the day. That's what Augustine did, but he was a seeker and, lo- and before he was converted, he, he, through philosophy and things, he had sought God. Okay, why am I saying this? 
that at the point of his conversion, he even, even had like visions of God and heard the voice of God, but did not consider himself a Christian. And what converted him was he heard a child singing, take and read, take and read. And he was in a house where there was a copy of, of his letter to the Romans. I, I'm, I don't know, if it, I don't think it was a scroll. I think it was some kind of um, early book. And he just picked it up because it was there on the table. He heard this voice and he thought, children don't usually sing that. And he read some verses from, from what we call the 13th chapter of the book of Romans. And at that point, he gave his life to the Lord. And, and his life has echoed through um, you know, the church for over, for 1,500 years, over 1,500 years. Just his thoughts, he became uh, a, a great leader in the church. Interestingly, Martin Luther, who was an August, Augustinian monk, I think he was in the Augustinian order, perhaps not, it was a different order, but he was struggling and, and needing to find God and, uh, and what converted him was he read Augustine's introduction to his commentary on Paul's letter to the Romans. So I'm just saying, if you, you know, if you can, I recommend that you read, familiarize yourself with the book of Romans that some of you have studied, and it's a study. You know, it's, it's complex, and it's like, I just think, God, who was this man, Paul, that <laughs> you wrote this through? Okay, so let's, let's jump into this. Paul, verse one, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand. So let's just look at, and you've already heard the whole thing, but let's look at verse one. A servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Now, the first significant thing that we might think about this is, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's really not, that's not inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever done that? You pick it up and you just thought, yeah, yeah, he always does this. So you kind of speed read the first five, ten verses. And then you get into, you're looking for a verse, you know, that, you, that connects to you. But... If, if, we, if we will ponder the word of God, we will behold God, the word, the eternal word, uh, guaranteed. Okay, so um, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. So we have to think about who Paul is. I mean, this, this will adds to the wonder of this. Paul was, uh, his, his name, his birth name was Saul. And Saul of Tarsus was an intense Jewish disciple of the law. It, and he, write, he writes about his life. He was, he was raised under the strictest form of Judaism. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel, a great uh, rabbinical teacher, and others. And over time, his Phar he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. You know, he, he could keep all 613 rules and he probably added a bunch more. He could almost keep them all. There was one that slayed him. That's what he, his own uh, record is. But there, the, uh, so in this, his intensity and his disturbance at the, at the degenerate cultures around him 
you know, got him more and more zealous for the glory of God. And he was particularly upset with this cult that had arisen following what he considered a false messiah, Yeshua. Uh, and, and so he made it his mission. He became a jihadist. And his goal was, it, when, when he met Jesus, sometimes we use uh, the verse in Revelation, Revelation chapter three, that Jesus is knocking at our door. There's a famous painting, Jesus knocking at the door of the midnight visitor. And, and, you know, and we used to sing it in the 70s. You know, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open the door, I'll come in. And it was like this great hippie kumbaya feeling song. But I think when, when Jesus of Nazareth encountered Saul of Tarsus, he kicked the door down. <laughs> he wasn't knocking, he kicked it down. And, and so Saul the jihadist who was breathing out, threatening and slaughter, who had papers in his hand from the Sanhedrin, he was on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians, to haul them off, to imprison them, and if they died, so much the better. His goal was he wanted to stamp out this, this terrible uh, heresy. And then he met the author of life. <laughs> and the author, uh, he met the word of God in person and it changed everything. And he had to be blinded so that he could see. Okay, so this is who's writing this. S Saul who became Paul. He describes himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. And there are a few words in, in the Greek language that could be translated servant. And one of them is like a person who would wait on tables, and, and this is the word often translated minister, the, the, and it's diakonos, but he uses the word here for a slave. He said, Paul, now he went from being an enemy to being a slave, but he wasn't a slave like in bondage, in chains and shackles, he was a love slave. And he doesn't call him Jesus of Nazareth or even Jesus Christ, he puts it first, Christ Jesus, like he's Messiah, Yeshua. <laughs> so anyway, he, I mean, he's, he's just saying, this is who I am. I'm totally transformed. I was called to be an apostle. He was called before he was born, but he didn't know it. He was called to be a sent one, a one, one given authority and assignment. And it's so hilarious, of course, uh, you know, Saul who had the, this intense, intense Judaistic legalism in his background, God thinks, you'll be great. I'm gonna send you out to the Gentiles. Enjoy the pork chops, so, you know? And so he just, and <laughs> why, why does God always, you know, God just picks people, doesn't he? Okay, and it's, so he's called, he has an assignment to be an apostle. He's set apart for the gospel of God. He is set apart. He's, he's, his life is no longer the way it was before. He's been set apart. And there's always this thing that when God calls us, whatever we're called to, we're set apart for that. And we live our lives in a stewardship of the assignment that God has given us. So I just wanna say, every, if you... God has called us, he chose us, we think we chose him, but he chose us and he called us. When we respond to that call, we come out of the darkness, we come into his marvelous light and we discover our purpose for existence. 
And, we, and to the degree we recognize that we're set apart to that purpose and throw ourselves fully into it is the degree that we will feel fulfilled whether the world recognizes it or not. And he's a servant for the gospel of God. And this is great, the gospel of God. God invades the world with something called the gospel. And the gospel in its most basic sense means good news. But it was, it was a term also used technically in the Roman Empire to describe a great conquest. When a great Roman general, and by the way, the Roman generals would usually very often fight each other to see who the next Caesar would be. You know, they, was, they weren't very nice. It's kind of like the mafia cop, you know, the capos getting together and having wars, and only these guys had huge armies. And, uh, but when they would conquer a new land that had formerly been another kingdom, they would come in and there would be a proclamation that would, would be carried all through the empire and it would be called the evangel or the good news, the good tidings. Hey, good news, we own even more of the world. The gospel of God is his announcement that Jesus Christ is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. You know, we present it in a very personal way. Did you know God loves you and has a plan for your life? But, but sin separated you from that plan, but Jesus Christ is the only mediator between God and man. And if you will receive God's gift of his death in your place and his, his resurrection that gives you new life, if you'll receive that new life, he'll come into you and dwell in you and you'll be a new creature. I mean, that, I, the gospel can be presented in many ways and of course we can critique like, well, you missed this part, missed this part, missed this part. But when God saves a person, they know it. <laughs> and sometimes they do it the way they're told and sometimes it's a different way. <laughs> any of, did any of you come in that, I, I got down on my knees on a yoga mat and said, Jesus, if you'll show me you're real, I'll follow you. That later that week, I was in a meeting where, and I had never worshiped Jesus as God, and for the first time, I'm trying it out, and so was Anne, and she's, and God met us in the most undeniable way, and we were in. Now, we still didn't know what happened to us, you know, I, but we entered. <laughs> so, the, uh, so he's, a, he's set apart for this declaration that God has conquered, and that Caesar is not Lord, but Jesus is Lord. Every time they declared Jesus is Lord, it was a, you know, it was a subversive and revolutionary proclamation. Who are they talking about? Some other king. This was an issue at his, at his, crucif at his trial before Pilate. But what's amazing to me is that God didn't pick Saul because he was nice or good. He picked him because he picked him. And we could say God doesn't, find what's pleasing to him, he creates it in us. <laughs> so say, God, what could you possibly find in me? He says, nothing, but I'm gonna create something wonderful in you if you will welcome my kingdom and the work of the Holy Spirit because God is creative and he creates out of nothing. That's how he created the universe. Isn't it amazing that by his word, he created the universe out of nothing? 
So by his word, he can create his image in you out of nothing. And he's not intimidated by your failures. So get over it. <laughs> that great pastoral, compassionate advice there. But I mean, it's just like, don't dwell on how bad you are. God knows how bad you are. It doesn't stop him from forgiving you and creating in you his image. He likes the challenge. And actually, it's no challenge. What's a challenge is when we think we're great. Sometimes he leaves us on our own then. That's why Paul, I think that's why Saul was so mad. Anyway, legalism will usually make you grumpy. Okay, so he's called, he's set apart to the gospel of God. This announcement that Jesus has conquered death. Verse two, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Let me say this. If God has promised you something, it doesn't matter how long it takes, the promise is good. It may, you may not see it in your lifetime, but you will see it from the perspective of eternity. And it doesn't mean it's true. We get discouraged because we put a time horizon on promises that, are, that mostly are our own. Okay, and I know there's all kinds of complex issues and stuff, but don't try to justify your discouragement. But preacher, he told me that in one year I would, well, it'll be in one year. It might not be the year you were expecting. I'm not, I'm not trying to be foolish. I'm just trying to say that we know in part and we prophesy in part, and even sometimes I think the way we hear, there's some of our humanity gets mixed in. It causes great confusion, but God promised his gospel beforehand. Do you know that Isaiah, I mean, basically preaches the whole gospel, but Isaiah never saw it in his lifetime. So when he was up around, I don't know how old he was when he died, but he was son in half, by the way, which wasn't a, that's what tradition tells us, and um, which wasn't a very nice way to die. I think they just had a short casket, so they're not teasing <laughs> But I mean, he was sawn asunder for his faith and for his testimony, and he didn't see what he prophesied. And he might have been thinking about it the night before he was sawn in half if he knew it was gonna happen ahead of time. I'm, you know, that, it's like, wow, what about, what about, what about, you know? And you could get discouraged if you say, well, now, you know, now I'm 70. I don't know if I how long I'm gonna live, but if it doesn't happen in the next 70 years, I'm not gonna see it in this lifetime. And, <laughs> and there is this kind of odd thing that I noticed at age 70, she's thinking like, well, you know, these big numbers. We never know what's ahead. You know, we don't know if we're gonna live two years, five years, 50 years. I have an opinion, because it's something I think God told me, but I'm not gonna say it, because, you know, if I'm wrong, I don't want you to not come to my funeral because I was a false prophet. Well, he said he was going <laughs> to live to this age, and why should I go to his funeral? But, I mean, do you understand? We can be so ridiculous in our, in our, you know, we're human, he's God. As long as you know that, everything's going to be good. So the gospel of God was promised beforehand, and the things that he's promised, he will keep. And in fact, by his great and precious promises, as we walk in believing them, this causes us and brings us into participation in his divine nature, which I think that's, I mean, it, that's awesome, it's mystical, but it's also what grace does. And, but in this gospel, verse three says, is concerning his son. 
It's not about me, it's not about you, it's concerning his son, which is an amazing thing because in this statement we, is the recognition that God has a son, which means he's the father. Now we know this in the way that it's been presented to us, but these are all radical statements. Imagine, uh, you know, I mean, every day when the, I, the call to prayer rings out from minarets around the world five times a day, usually by recordings, it's very obnoxious at three in the morning. And, but one of the lines in there is that God is one and he has no son. It's a lie. That's a lie. The truth is that God has a son. That's why John writes, whoever denies the father and the son is antichrist. So this, this I mean, it's so significant that God has a son because he brings us into his sonship. And how does he do that? is he comes into our humanity and participates in it. This gospel, I'm just in verse three, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. Now, that's a whole statement there, isn't it? I mean, one is that, it, that this God, the son, becomes human. And we say it so much, we go, yeah, 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 I know that, but we don't really know that because I don't think any human brain is capable of understanding how the uncreated creator of creation emptied himself of his divinity, not, I mean, he couldn't empty himself of his nature, but he emptied himself of his glory and showed up as an infant who needed to be held and fed and diapers changed and all of that. So he went from the, he went from glory to the cradle, I don't, and he didn't have a cradle, so they used a manger. I, I mean, this is just the most wild story. And he descended from David, who was the, the awesome messianic hero of the Jewish people, but if we study David's life, he was very flawed. He had a lot of problems. He may have been an, the illegitimate son of Jesse. That, I mean, the, we don't know these things, but you can make an argument for that. And he certainly had difficulty with anger and self-control, wouldn't you say? And he wasn't morally upright in many key moments of his life, and he caused a lot of trouble, and people around him suffered. But there was something, but God didn't look at that and say, well, David, forget it. God didn't find David perfect, but he created it. And I think what he created was the man who sought God's heart again and again and again, and he would get up after his failings and cry out to God, and God says, I like this. And this king of, <laughs> this king who becomes the, the ideal king of the, Israel, is of the Jewish people, and I love David. I'm not, I'm not trying to downgrade David. I'm just trying to say if we study his humanity, and Jesus was a descendant from David according to the flesh, so he, like he was carrying some of the same genetics that David carried, which came to him through his biological mother, Mary, the virgin who gave birth, which has never been done before, no one understands. And so he has father in heaven and he has a human biological mother and he has the adopted, uh, uh, you know, adopted human dad, St. Joseph. God bless him. Oh, man, I mean, how would you like to be this, you know, <laughs> the adopted father of God, you know? Like, this is just, uh, and he knew it, because they told him, <laughs> Joseph, 
Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. <laughs> For that which is in her was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Ah! What does that mean? Everything about what God does isn't what we would logically expect, which keeps us from getting disappointed in our expectations. Okay, so the, the eternal is reduced from imp- to intimacy. The playwright takes the stage, and then when he shows up, he doesn't show up in a highfalutin family, but he ends up as a small, he's the son of a small town carpenter in a town with the worst reputation in, in this, among his people and then that's disgusting to the Romans. Isn't that amazing that God isn't, you know, he just wears some good disguises, doesn't he? Like, this is the, the person no one would expect would be God in the flesh, you know? And, and so he's, he, he goes through all this, he becomes an itinerant preacher, and he works miracles, and he still does through his body today but it gets him in, he gets in big crowds and then it gets him in big trouble. And he had this way of saying hard sayings, like he wasn't, he wasn't politically correct and he said things that offended people and they walked away. Eventually, he ends up getting crucified, which is the worst death and the worst form. And so now, not only did he empty himself into the cradle, but now he empties out his humanity upon the cross. And now we have the omnipotent who in some mysterious way reduces himself to nothing. And it was his own choice. He, he said, nobody's gonna take my life, I'm gonna lay it down, which makes me wonder, like, when he's laying it down, did he, you know, there as he's tied to the whipping post, if you saw the movie, The Passion of the Christ, it's very brutal. And, and he's got, hey guys, you missed one. There's, there's nine more diseases I'm trying to destroy. Would you just beat me a little more bloody pulp? I mean, this is, he's unrecognizable as a human being. He can't carry his own cross piece. He stumbles and falls carrying the cross. He's, uh, and yet, this is all his plan. And he's doing it for the joy set before. It's just mind-boggling. And there he's humiliated he's, and he's abandoned Why? Because he's participating in every last ounce of human pain. So that we poor humans can participate in his victory. He's going to the depths and when it looks like he's at his worst and and, but then he's laid in a crypt. He goes from the cradle to the cross now to the crypt, and when he's there in the crypt, it's his dead body, it's really dead. Now he's in hell taking care of things, but nobody knows that, and I'm telling you, on Saturday, everyone was depressed. God's not doing it. We thought he was the one. They were still depressed on Sunday, it didn't get, you know. But, But isn't it strange that when we think God's doing nothing, that's when he's getting all the most important. He works behind the scenes, and it's a mistake for us to think he's not keeping his promises. And, and this is all mystery. Like, our minds cannot conceive of it. We touch on, we think we know God. We, you know, John 6 says, if, 
John 6, Jesus in this whole, here's this hard saying passage. He's the bread of life, eat my body, drink my blood. And in the middle of it, I think it's verse 40, he says, if you will look at me and believe, you will have eternal life. And so we look at him, we look at all of these realities, and we can't conceive of it, it's mystery. And sometimes we get a big revelation and we think we know everything, but I wanna show you something. There's a, a slide on the screen. What we know is represented by this square. It looks like we know a lot. Now, the, the circle around the square represents the reality of who God is, okay? It's infinite, but it's, we couldn't fit it on the screen, so it's just the circle around. So where the square touches the, the circle is something we've actually found out about God. And as we continue, but how many know, you're, you're just thrilled, you touch one thing, it's like, wow! and you can spend your whole lifetime declaring it, but it's not very much of the totality. And so we learn something more over time. And so now we know five things instead of four, and we're like, oh, I got, I'm writing a new book. I'm, I'm gonna run with this for the next 10 years. And we think, now I know all about God. And it's really not very much. And then, then we, we continue on, and we're getting more and more holy, and people say, wow, you're just like Jesus. The resurrection came up there. I'm not sure why, but now we've added that, and we get some more, and, and we know more, and, and, people, and, we, and we, we keep touching these points, but where the, where the points actually touch the vertices of the polygon, touch the circle, is tiny. And so we add more and more and more. Okay, there it goes. Just, we become animated. And it, you know, in the opinion of people, it's like, wow, that guy is so much like God. But in terms of the totality of all that he is, we're barely touching the edge. So God, just keep us in humility and wonder. This is the fear of God. It's the beginning of wisdom that he's so big that our brains cannot contain him. And he's so happy that he lets us say whatever we know. <laughs> and people are like, whoa. You know? <laughs> okay, keep going. We're, <laughs> we're not gonna get very far today. But so he go, he, he, in the mystery of his incarnation, you can think about this all night long. When you wake up at night, don't worry about the bills. Don't worry about the kids. Consider it like, God, how did you become human? And then think about, and how did you die since you're the author of life? How, how is that possible for you to die? And these things, they're like, like no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has ever conceived. It hasn't entered into the heart of man what God does. And, and so, but all this time he's working in the background for the last step of this whole thing is verse four, and he was declared to be the son of God in power, which by the way is a title, son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection, his physical resurrection from the dead. It wasn't an appearance, it wasn't, it seemed like he, went, he rose from the dead. His name is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so what does God do here? He creates again out of nothing. I mean, if you think of it, there's nothing for him to work with. And he, his resurrection is the beginning of new creation. And it, when, he, when he comes to us and we receive who he is, he speaks into our life and out of nothing, 
he creates a new creation. It's powerful. Okay, you're all in stunned awe, I know. So, but this is what God does. He shatters the reign of death. He's hidden, and what he's doing is disguised, and he comes from the dead, and then something else happens. This dynamic is released. Verse five, through whom we have received grace, which is his divine nature. It's the ability of God that goes to work in you. It's unmerited favor. It's his favor. It's conferred to you as he participated in our sin and our pain. He didn't sin as a human being, but he took our sin upon himself and the Father made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become this new creation, the righteousness of God, which is administered through grace and we receive grace and in Paul's case, we received apostleship. Every one of us has received this assignment and with the assignment comes the authority to accomplish it. Whatever God has called you to do, you have the authority to do it because it's his calling and his purpose. And don't be deceived by marketing and, and all the, and if you're into marketing, bless you, but that's your calling. But don't be deceived by the, the, the changing fashions of this world. That's what I'm saying. Because you have a purpose that's settled in him We've received grace and apostleship to bring, and here's what Paul's after, the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. It's his name, which Paul writes in the second verse, he says, because of God's people that aren't living like God's people, he's, he's addressing it directly to the Jewish people, he says that his name gets slandered all over the world. And so what, God, what the gospel does is, and what salvation does and what grace at work in us does is it actually, in, it imparts and infuses us with his goodness and, it, and it's not for us to make a name, it's for us to make his name famous and glorified. And among, and I like this, among all the nations, so this doesn't stop. And so you can stand up now because I've reached the end of my time and probably the end of your patience, but. God is not done with his patience, that's a good thing. But here's what's interesting, Paul starts his letter out this way, so this must be the, like the major purpose of this letter, and we see it, and if we look at Abraham in chapters, chapter four, we see that God with Abraham actually creates out of nothing again. And so it was very important for Abraham and Sarah to exceed their physical capacity to fulfill God's promise in their own nature, and yet because of the obedience of faith that they were, they were, they were, what they heard they were hanging on to, they saw a miracle happen. They saw, they saw God create out of nothing a son named Yitzhak, laughter. And from him came all those by faith from Abraham. But that was the moment that from Abraham he becomes the father to all who believe. And this is what God is after in us is the obedience of faith. Let me, here's the end of Romans 16 and then it'll be the end of my message. <laughs> Romans 16, 25, which is the doxology. He said everything he wants to say and now he, and he, now he just wants to give God glory. Now to him who is able to strengthen you or establish you according to the 
to the gospel. And then he, he, he defines it. The mystery, something we can never fully understand, that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed. And by the, being disclosed doesn't mean you know everything about it, but it's being released into our lives in reality through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. It's worldwide according to the command of the eternal God to bring about, here it is again, the obedience of faith. So here's what I'm saying. In this time, and in, actually in any time, but in this time, in our lives and in our nation, it's very important that we don't get distracted by what the enemy's doing. Now, we may have assignments and we may have thoughts and opinions and reactions, but it's very important, and I'm saying this to myself, to not get discouraged like, oh God, it's over. It's never over. And God keeps his promises. And we were singing it today with all our hearts and believing it, and I, and I, I have this sense that we're on the brink of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and a, and a revival and an awakening in our nation. But what's important is that we don't gauge our opinion based on the news cycle, but we are gauging it on the obedience of faith. What God has spoken to us is how we live. And while, we're, while we retain the obedience of faith, we're like a pregnant woman who is with child, and the longer we wait, the bigger this baby gets. Do you see? Because what we're, we're saying, we're not, we're not going to stillbirth, we're not going to miscarry, but the obedience of faith allows the Word of God, the seed of God, to form in us and come through us. And if what we're expecting is for a future generation and not our own generation, that's all right because we're carrying and we're transmitting from faith to faith for generations to come. And we're keeping the promises of God alive and before Him in the heavens by what we proclaim and what we and how we live. So I just feel like I want to pray and I want to, you know, if you want to come forward, if you don't know Jesus, he wants to save you. If I don't, you know, when I, when Ann and I met the Lord, it was like Jesus was fishing for us and he, he was very careful. He lured us out of our hiding place in the weeds and when we, if we finally got hooked, we probably wouldn't have taken it, but there was a net that pulled us in so we didn't break the line. But I think when, when he got Saul, he used a spear gun. <laughs> That'll take care of him. <laughs> and it had steel leader on it. But I'm, just, I'm saying what, what God has in you is precious. It's the mystery hidden for the ages, kept secret for the ages. It's now been disclosed in your life. I just want to pray that we would, we would steward the promises of God. We would steward the expectation. We would pray and proclaim and we would, we would love wherever we go, that we would live not expecting to see, to find what we're looking for, but expecting that that Christ in you, the hope of glory, is going to release a creative process to bring the fulfillment of the promises of God what, from what seems like out of nothing. 
that God can create ex nihilo through you in Jesus' name. So Holy Spirit, just lift up your hands. Holy Spirit, would you come upon us? Would you increase the level of grace? Would you increase the awareness of your presence? Would you open your word up for us so that it burns in our bones like fire? Would you remind us of promises that we've, that we've disqualified because of our own time horizons, not knowing the actual timing of the fulfillment? Would you awaken hope in us? Would you fill us with a joyful optimism and a love because faith always works through love that we could love every human we interact with no matter how distressing the disguise of the image of God that we there would be a, our first response would be love God that we would be carriers of the gospel of God that it would be concerning the name of Jesus that we would give glory to that I pray as Paul will pray at the end of this introductory passage, that, that each one here knows that you're loved by God and you're called to belong to Jesus Christ and that, that you would receive grace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And along with that grace would be the peace of God that passes all understanding. In Jesus' name, and I just want to—I want to open the altar. Um, if if you want prayer to be filled with grace, you're you're in situations, you're facing things. I need that perception. If you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, come for prayer. If you've never been baptized in water, it's part of salvation. Come forward and just say, hey, I, wanna, I want you to pray for me and then I'm gonna sign up to be baptized. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ or you've, you thought you did but you went away and you wanna make sure, I invite you to come forward today. There's healing here, there's deliverance in the name of Jesus. So before I dismiss you, anybody that wants to come up, you can start coming up now. But... The rest of you, if you need to go, I know it's the 4th of July, you have plans. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his grace be apparent. May his face, his presence shine upon you. May you know he's hearing every prayer you pray. And may the shalom of God characterize every aspect of your life. In Jesus' name, can you say amen? Amen. amen. Isn't God good?